0: Welcome to the Mystic Show, episode one fifty seven. Time to relax. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm your host, Chris Curran, and I'm happy you're able to join me at this very moment. On this show, we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and a lot of other things unseen and otherworldly. You know, the things that are most important in life are the non-physical things, you know, like love, Um feelings, joy, connection, and of course those manifest in physical life, but there's so much deeper than physical life, right? The purpose of this show is for you and I to talk about spirituality and talk about how we're implementing it. So learning is good, reading is good, implementing and understanding is much better. And we release new episodes every Friday morning, although I've been missing a few lately. I was actually sick last week. So you can hear the show on on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and our website, themysticshow.net, where you can download a really cool piece of audio. I don't know if you've downloaded it yet. It's called Relax with Rumi. If you sign up for my behind-the-scenes emails... Uh, you get this free audio. Uh, it's four audio files totaling like 47 minutes. It's relaxing audio with me reading these really inspirational roomy quotes over it. It's really pretty cool. Uh, and it's free. So just go sign up for the email list. And and uh, of course, the email list, I just send you a little note every week and give you a little behind the scenes info of our show. And of course, our sponsor... Pause your life. Pauseyourlife.org. Do you ever feel like overwhelmed and you just wanted, you know, the world to stop for like a week? <laughs> you know, stop the ride, let me get off. Well, pause your life offers retreats and meetups for that very purpose where you can drop all your baggage, just be a human being and not worry about the day-to-day stress and all that crazy stuff. We really need to balance ourselves sometimes, and Pause Your Life really offers that. So this episode is a special one. I was actually on location this past weekend uh, doing our vision board workshop for Pause Your Life, which is always a really cool event. Um, It's a lot more than just cutting out pictures from magazines and pasting them on a poster board. We go really deep, and you know when you learn on a deep level it's very effective so besides a bobcat walking by the door that's right we saw a bobcat i took pictures maybe i'll you know what i'll put it in this (laughs) in the show notes of this episode um i'll put the picture of the bobcat it was amazing it was very quick it was like 30 seconds we got to look at it man but what a rare sighting Anyway, we were at the Center for Powerful Living here in Colorado Springs, and the woman who owns it is named Tasha Yoder, and uh, I'll give the website as well, centerforpowerfulliving.com. She hosts all kinds of events there. She's a coach. She's a business coach and a life coach, and she is on her own spiritual journey, and she's been studying Um, a certain system of knowledge and experience for many years now. It's called The Teachings of the Delicate Lodge. And in the show notes, I'll put a couple links to places where you can learn about it. You may want to do that because we actually talk about uh, the 20 energies. I think it's called the 20 count. And we also talk about what spiritual actually means to her. In her life, uh, we we learn about the origins of her teaching, which came from a pre Mayan culture, and also descended. Well, part of, one leg of the teaching descended through the Native Americans here in North America, and we talk about a lot about the sacred human, which is sort of like what we're supposed to become in spirituality. It really, just a wonderful conversation. We talk. Some theory, but a lot about how to implement this stuff in your life. And a lot about how to bring yourself back into balance if you lose it. So we talk about a lot of great things, and I'm really happy that Tasha was able to be on the show. Again, I recorded it on location, so you'll hear the mic is going to sound a little different, but it sounds really good. And so let's get right into it. Let's hear my interview with Tasha Yoder, the owner of the Center for Powerful Living and talking about the teachings of the Delicate Lodge and how to live as a sacred human. Is what you're doing, do you consider that a spiritual practice? You mean what I do for work? Um, Actually, no. No. What oh, okay. you do for um, your organization. <laughs> First of all, what organization is it?
1: <laughs> well, so... I do consider it a spiritual practice. I consider it a set of spiritual beliefs. I uh, several years ago, 2008 through 2010, was part of a group that was trained in what are called the teachings of the Delicate Lodge. And it's a so so when I say spiritual practice, For me to be spiritual, which was a very long journey for me, I had to figure out what that meant. For years, I had people, I would, when I was, I'm a certified coach, and when I was doing my coach training and other workshops, I would be with people and they would say, Oh, you're so spiritual. And I would be like holding up this huge stop sign. I'm like, No, no, I'm not, I'm not spiritual. Because I really put that in a religion category, and I was not religious, and I still don't think that I'm religious, but. So I had to figure out what spiritual meant. So spiritual for me means that you're understanding yourself and you're understanding your relationship to the universe. And so the teachings of the Delicate Lodge are they're a map of the universe, a map of all the energies, how they relate to one another. You do deep inner work. Um, And so when I figured out that that was what spiritual was. then I could say, "Yes, I'm a spiritual person, or I'm on a spiritual path um, and not get that you know confused with the dogma of a religion and and anything along those lines so uh it comes it originally comes from a pre Mayan culture the teachings do. And uh, the language fits a couple of different things. So if someone's heard of you know the Mayan 20 count, that's a part of the teaching. And then as it was spread, there was a, a time, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago when it was sent out into the world in different directions. And one of those paths came through uh, the Native Americans here in North America. And so there's also some languaging and some practices that melds that some, you know, Lakota language and you know some other things. So um, it it feels very much like uh, a Native American kind of way of thinking of things. I sort of just consider it earth based, or <laughs> you know, uh, that's the way that I look at it. And it's really, it's just a a beautiful way, like I said, of looking at the universe, of looking at all the energies and how we as humans relate and and how you become uh, what we we call a sacred human, a conscious human. So rather than a a two-legged, someone that's just walking the earth and doing damage and not really aware of their surroundings, how do you interact with things? How do you do that in a way that... Honors what's around you and honors yourself
0: interesting uh, I love the way you put that um, becoming a sacred human becoming conscious instead of just a two-legged animal causing destruction um, so I want to ask you about the energies but before that can you real you mentioned a 20 count the Mayan 20 count what is that
1: so the mind 20 count is it is those energies. So it's the it's 20 energies of the universe. And so for example, um, you know, we're we're very familiar with uh, four that make up, you know, sun, earth, plants, animals, right? Those are like the first basic four. And then there's a human. And then You start to move into energies that are a little different, um, like Ancestor Spirits, uh, the Sacred Dream of Life, um, Cycles of Law, and Movement Moon. And then finally, so so the human actually makes up four of them right? So I said sacred human uh, was, was number five. And number 10 is higher self. So, so that's the first 10. I just named the first 10. And then the, the second 10, so if the first 10 are, let's call it the manifestation of sort of the masculine of each of those energies, the higher 10, the 11 through 20 are actually the feminine or the potential of each of those energies. So, for instance, I'll just do the first one. The first one was uh, the sun. And number 11, the higher of the sun, is uh, the stars. Mm-hmm. So, you think of that as, again, the manifestation here in our life versus the feminine, which is the potential for all of that being the
0: stars. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, what, what, you just me- you mentioned one called uh, the sacred dream,
1: the sacred dream of life. Um, it has to do with your purpose, your direction. Um, it can have. It can also have to do with your with your past. You know, the sacred dream of life is uh, in in the higher energy. It's actually where the we hold the memories of all that's gone before us, right? And we there's a belief in a lot of both religions and spiritual practices that we have a a purpose or a contract or a sacred dream to be fulfilled. And so, of course, then there's the question of, you know, do you have control over that? When did you have control over that? You know, is it some sort of predetermined destiny? Um, and really, in in my world, in the world of the, the teachings of the Delicate Lodge, you get to figure out what that means to you, which is really what drew me to these teachings. You know, even though I had a teacher and there's a sort of a structure, you know, of what you learn... One of the very first days that that you know I, I went to this um, I guess I would call it a group or a training ceremony, whatever you want to call it, she said to us, "You know, anything I tell you, I want you to think about it and figure out whether or not it works for you. This is not you know except for learning the structure which we had to learn in order to be able to share it and talk with other people about it." But what it means to you and how it works in your life, what you quote, believe. It's the first time I really thought about what do I believe? You know, I always had beliefs and I always had those things that I was like, you know, someone would say, talk about past lives or, uh, you know, astral travel or, you know, I mean, you know, all sorts of things that, that people talk about. And I would just sort of put it in this category of, I think, unbelievable or not in my realm or whatever. But I never actually went to that place of what do I believe what makes sense to me Uh, called dance hammering, actually. (laughs) Dance hammering. Dance hammering. So um, it's a – there's a – there's a way that you work with something. Like think about metal, like working gold or silver. Take a little hammer and you're like working that and molding it and shaping it. It's that kind of thing. So when you have an idea, you take it inside and you figure out: Does this really work for me? What part of it works? What you know? What sense of it works? So we got on this uh, from talking about you know the sacred dream of life, right? So. What does that mean to you that you have a sacred dream of life, that you have a purpose? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, like we talked about, that, that there's some contract that you made before you came into your body or which some people believe. but, but what does it mean? And, and what role does that play as you're going through life, as you're making decisions that fit or don't fit, You've probably had this experience yourself, and I've had. I I coach. I'm a life coach and a business coach, so I talk with people a lot. You get to your 40s, 50s, 60s, and and you start to look back on your life, and people say, all the time, I hear this. It's like everything I did up to this point was designed for me to do this thing that I'm doing now, (laughs) right? But if you picked a path, that might not actually be the path you would pick to get there. Um, So that's kind of what sacred dream of life means. I mean, you know, what are you doing that's then going to feed the next thing that you do? What are you doing that's on purpose? We kind of know when our energy clicks, when we, uh, when we fall into something and we're like, wow, this is the perfect thing for me to be doing. What happened to me when I got coach training, actually? Um, I knew that it was the right thing for me. And so I knew that it fit, even though that wasn't the language I had at the time, I knew it fit my sacred dream of life.
0: So how do you personally, Tasha, which I didn't even really introduce you, but I, I will introduce you in the studio, um, how do you personally you know, use these, the ideas of these energies or, 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 or actually use the energies in your daily life? Is there some sort of practice or protocol?
1: <laughs> you know, as, as with most spiritual practices, there are days that are better and days that are worse. <laughs> there are days that I'm, that I'm using them and days that I'm not. Some, sometimes it's as simple as checking in what's off and what's on. So with every energy, there's actually a distortion. So what happens when you're out of the energy? Um, and that that can happen. So it's just a it's a simple check in to say, okay, if if I'm uh, really out of my energies, where does that put me? You know. Um.
0: So it's kind of like a feeling that something's not right, something's not aligned, and then you then how do you how do you find out what is not aligned?
1: Well, that was part of my training so to to be able to recognize based on the actions that you're doing what's out of alignment and so some of that was just practice I mean this so this uh training that I went through was a two-year process was not you know like some three-hour work (laughs) so over those two years and we're working with guides and and with each other so you really learn to identify what those what's out of alignment um So, for instance, you know, there's a, there's a way right now in our society, we talk a lot, yeah, I know that you do meditation, you teach meditation. Um, and meditation is a great practice for being present, being really in the moment.
0: Right? Or, or not being present.
1: Or not being present, but right. Yes. And the the flip side of that is being, indulgent or avoiding so this is where you know some bad habits come in addictions things like that so if you find yourself like completely steering away from being in the moment you know falling into the television uh the computer right all of those kind of things food those things and some would say you're being in the like you're in the moment because you're there you're just with that thing (laughs) But it is purely the opposite of being with yourself, which is you know what being in the moment is all about. So you just you learn to identify those things, and and you same as any other practice. How do you then break that energy? How do you renew yourself? Um, how do you you know come to a place where you can say, okay, yes, this is what I did. I'm just going to let that go and reset. Start. <laughs> whether it's the day over again the hour over again whatever that is
0: it is difficult i i think it it really is easy for us as human beings to deceive ourselves and sort of think oh i'm in the moment i'm present i'm spiritual when you're far from it um you know how do you hand, like how do you, how do you handle talking to people who are sort of they think they're in touch, but they're not really kind of in touch. It's a touchy thing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is a touchy thing. I have learned over the years through both my coach training and the spiritual training pretty much not to, to handle that. You, it, the, the best thing you can do is lead by example. You can probe a little bit, ask some questions, but if someone does not see what they're doing and they don't want to see what they're doing. You're just if if you're trying to make someone <laughs> you know change their habits or whatever, yeah, it doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't work. And and that was it's been a tough lesson for me because when you when you make those changes in your life, you probably know this, you want everybody <laughs> You know, and you and and there's a moment that we all go through, and we probably come back to it over and over again, where you think you know, right. right? The like suddenly I'm some enlightened being or something like that. You know, I have this way, and it's beautiful, and it works for me. And I want everyone to be more conscious. I want everyone to be more aware. Um, and woe the person that is sitting next to me (laughs) if I'm feeling that, right? (laughs) Because then I'm like, oh, hey, but this, and you need to know about this. And yeah, it doesn't work that way. If someone's open, I mean, we all know this, uh, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear, right? So there have been absolute moments in my life when I've been genuinely asked a question, how do I do this from someone who is in whatever place they're in? How do I make this change? It happens all the time in my work because I do business coaching. And so I get that question explicitly. You know, I want to make this change for myself. I'm dealing with fear about my business. How do I do that? And then I do what I can to open a door. And if someone sees that that's the door they want to go through, I'm happy to have a deeper conversation with them. But I definitely learned a long time ago, I couldn't be me looking at someone and saying, oh, they need to change.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I want to circle back to you mentioned uh, our ancestries before, and uh, it reminded me of a of a good friend of ours named Eric Marmalejo. He's part of our Pause Your Life group. He we met him in New Jersey. He's now he moved out of New Jersey as well as did my wife and I. But he's a Native American, and he he frequently tells us in the group to you know. Honor your ancestry and think about, you know, find out where you came from. And and because that is stored in your cells, it's stored maybe in the ether. Um, Talk to me about ancestry because, you know, in the Western world, especially in America, we don't know anything about our ancestry. Everything is brand new and we think we're the king of the world. So so tell me about this concept of ancestry and, and how important it is.
1: Well, not only do we think everything's new, we all move away from our families, and I'm guilty of that. My, uh, my family lives in Iowa, and when I got the chance when I graduated from college, I moved away. <laughs> you know, So we don't live in those small communities like we used to. I think it's so important. There's so much knowledge that we have, and I think you know there are ways that we're getting back to it. Um, that, that we're accessing that knowledge simple things like um, what is that It was the story project uh, there was a thing that a thing that NPR's been doing where there um, uh, it's not the story project is a local one, but there's there's been a national thing where it's about recording people's stories. so there's this guy like 15 minutes you can go in a booth and you know interview one of your Uh, you know, an elder and get their information. It's actually going to be put in the Library of Congress, these recordings. Um, And then there's even, you know, Native Americans now who are, the elders are saying, you know, we we don't need to be holding our traditions anymore. We need to be letting them out. Mm -hmm. But so to to directly answer your question, I think there's just so much knowledge. To me, it's Tapping into what I would call universal knowledge. We know that even in religions, I was just having a conversation with someone about uh, information that's in the Bible. Um, There's not a lot of new stuff that's out there. (laughs) Uh, No matter what tradition you're looking at or, or spirituality that you're looking at. And so it's trusting that. It's trusting that these practices and and knowledge and truth and whatever you want to call it that goodness actually goes way back and is a part of us. And um, one way to access it is just to you know we talked about being quiet, being in the moment, right? You know some people think of that as you know being there and, and kind of asking that question to the universe. Well, how would the old ones handle this or what's happened in the past? And you could be surprised at the information that comes through, uh, regardless of what you believe about you know what's out there and, and, uh, and from a spirit perspective just that, like you said, that knowing we have it, they say we actually have it in our DNA, um, in our, uh, in, and not just our own ancestors, but, you know, from from that knowledge that we have. And so I think it's, it's really important.
0: Yeah, because, I, I mean, do you think the souls that have passed on are sort of in some sphere where they can hear our prayers and help us directly? Are they listening? Can they answer our questions directly? Is that sort of the Native American thinking or or your thinking?
1: Yeah, so I can't speak for the Native American thinking, and I know that, I mean, there are so many tribes that the belief systems, just like if you asked Christians as a group, you would get a wide variety of answers of what people believe. I can tell you what I finally come to as my belief, which is (laughs) the only thing I can answer. I believe that there is a collective consciousness. So I do not personally believe in individuated souls. So I think that when we pass, that our energy, our, you know, that holds whatever, right? Essence, Essence, knowledge, all of that uh, goes into. I don't know, this big blob of, you know, energy <laughs> that's out there, right? The air, the the ocean, all of that. And um, so it's, it's hard for me, like, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, talking to people on the other side or uh, even, you know, having multiple lives. That doesn't really sit with me because to, for that to happen, you would have to have an individuated soul to... You know to be able to have that soul come back now i know there are so many you know there's there's if you look at the dalai lama or you know whatever that there is some proof of that or seeming proof of that but it's just for my personal belief i think it's a big you know <laughs> it's a big glob of energy out there and uh and that's what we tap into where we come from where we go that's that's the only part that works for me mm. And that's not at all representative. Like I said, some of my teachers believe other things and you know, Native Americans you know, there's all sorts of beliefs. There are Native Americans who are Christians who believe in a God. So
0: Right. Yeah, and even my spiritual guide says that, you know, you don't have to believe in reincarnation or any past lives or or future lives. You don't it's not necessary to believe in all that to become, as you would say, a sacred human in this life.
1: Right. There, are, right. there are so many fewer rules than what we make up. <laughs> Which is like what I said when I, when I first started with my teacher and she said, you know, take it and make it yours. And I think any teacher that gives you that autonomy, that's a great teacher. Because anyone who says, "Here's the way it is," and you have to believe, you know, soup to nuts, it's got to look exactly like this." well, that's where we get ourselves in trouble, because then you feel like if I, if I can't follow that, then what? I'm a bad person, a non-believer, uh, you know, I don't fit in like all of these things that, that come to being. So I believe that you just you have to work with it yourself and figure out what you believe.
0: What have been, in your life, what have been the most uh, important changes that your spiritual journey has brought to you?
1: Wow. Um, One was what I alluded to or talked about, which is that I started examining my own beliefs and determining my own beliefs. Before, for me, there was kind of this this big wall, you know. When I got to college, it was very popular to say that you were an atheist. And so I, you know, that's what it was. And being an atheist, you're a non-believer, which doesn't make any sense. You don't believe anything. I mean, you actually do believe things. Um, but to go through that process for me, um, the second, I think, was just really understanding... And being able to examine myself, that self awareness process, it really blew me open. <laughs> mm-hmm. in In ways, you know, where I could look at relationships, I could look at my own growth. And and when that happens, and you look back, and you just think, well, what what would I have thought about before then? You know, it's kind of like you can't not see it. So once you start that self awareness process. You can't imagine not being self aware um and you almost- you almost can't even remember not being self aware so that's the the second piece for me that really getting to examine myself, see myself in amazing ways, be able to take that kind of feedback and input from other people um and and then figure out how do I how do I manifest that in the world? How do I be that person? And I'm not, I mean, I am that person all the time. That person's inside of me at my core. My sacred humanness is, is part of me all the time. Doesn't mean it, it's always the person that shows up in the world. So that's the other part, <laughs> is how do you recover from that? How do you come back to that? Because I want to be that person more than I don't want to. Um, and it's not easy. I think, I think all spiritual paths are that way. Right.
0: Did you start out, when you started your two-year training program, did you start out with the goal to become a sacred human? What What was your goal at that point?
1: No, not in the least. And I I can tell you I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had been through a, a leadership program through the Coaches Training Institute, an amazing program where you go through four retreats in a year. Uh, really a, a great way to to learn about yourself as well. And as I was there, there were a couple people in the group, one was a leader and one was um, a participant who I became close to I, I really enjoyed talking with them and one of them, the the leader actually, we had these long conversations about spirituality and this was where I was getting some of that. You're really spiritual. And I was like, no, no, no. And I would really get into these, you know, kind of defensive positions with people about that. And one day he said to me, he said, you know, you need to look at this program. This is the thing for you. And it was partly because of the structure of it, the the 20 count, that it's a very I have a, a very logical mathematical brain. And so he he said, you know, I think you're gonna like that part, that this this learning part of it, but you're really gonna, you know, get it. And he didn't say it's a spiritual thing or, you know, it's just you need to go learn this. And I talked with a teacher, and I remember even saying to her in a phone conversation with her, you know, while I was trying to make my decision, and I said, you know, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm, you know, I'm like laying out all the defense in front of me. I said, you know, I don't want anybody to change my mind or any of this. And she said, all right, that's fine. (laughs) And um, I just, I took the leap. You know, I, I, for most of my adult life, I have followed my instincts. And it's gotten stronger, as I've, you know, more self-aware. But it was just a place where I followed my instincts and it totally changed my life.
0: How long did it take you to sort of loosen up and get comfortable with the training program?
1: I I was fortunate in the beginning where, you know, there were some things that would trigger me. And, me, and not, like, you know, trigger all those defensives, but, you know, the, something would be said, and I would be like, whoa, that's not, you know, me. But... Part of that, I think she must have said this at one point, too, part of that learning process is just a suspense of, like, you know, if if you're going to go in to learn something, you have to kind of just suspend all of that. Where does it fit with, with me and where does it not? And we had time in between. So this was, you know, we would meet. Uh, every quarter for two years so it was like you would go and meet and learn things and then you'd have that time afterwards to dance hammer it we were you know in a closed um, online lodge so we could you know write and we we had homework and all that kind of thing so I pretty quickly learned how to just take something in and learn it you know learn the pieces and the technicality of it and then let it go and and figure out later if it worked for me. And there were absolutely times when we would be, you know, sitting in a circle in this training, and the question would be, okay, how many people, like, is this way too far for you? And I was not alone, and that made it work for me as well. I wasn't some lone wolf, (laughs) you know, the only one with my heels dug in the ground saying, this doesn't work for me. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I, I grew as we went, but uh, I was able pretty easily to, to open up in the beginning and just be really honest with people.
0: So, on your spiritual path, um, has your logical mind and your intellect been an impediment for you?
1: <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> of course. You know, a guided meditation. Here's a great example. And again, you teach meditation and guided meditation is often asked you to visualize, you know, uh, going someplace, uh, shamanic journeys. Right? You go down into the earth and meet your spare guides, and you know all of those things. That's one of those things that I I do and I follow actually very easily. I even um, lead guided meditations, but there's a part of that logic part of my brain. That is going. Where are all this? Where's all these images coming from, or where is this new? Because oftentimes in a guided meditation, you're asking for new information. You know, uh, some of them are like, you know, there's a box in front of you. Open it up, and what's the message that's there? Where does that message come from? <laughs> My brain wants to figure that out. Does it come from the collective consciousness? Does it come from? Some Freudian part of my brain that you know I don't access unless I'm in this sort of hypnotic or pseudo hypnotic state, you know, <laughs> so yeah, there's absolutely those kind of things where my brain wants to figure it out, nail it down, and sometimes I just go like okay i I don't know, I can believe something and not know it i I love and adore friends of mine, other people that I've been in training with or or not, you know, friends in the world who believe completely different things than I do, and I've learned to reconcile that as well, that I don't have to aggressively disagree with them, that I can allow them to believe and be okay with that, even if that belief is different than mine. That was a big step for me, too, because for a long time, especially in that non-spiritual, non-believer place, I wanted to, you know, go up against people. How can you believe that? How can you, you know, that kind of thing? I don't do that at all anymore.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a habit of the logical, intellectual mind is to sort of want to sort of mentally spar with people and argue with them about which philosophy is better and... Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, what does it all mean? Like you mentioned earlier, now you know, and this is something I've learned as well, it's better not to say anything, just let it be, and, and just let it be, because that's what, you know, if you look back at the masters or you look at someone from your tradition who is a sacred human, they don't argue with people.
1: Right, they don't. Um, just like my beliefs have changed over time, and I know they will continue to change, how is it wrong that someone believes something else especially if they've had an experience that has shown them that belief that that is their truth and they get to have that truth i don't get to make them wrong now again the logical mind or the the ego you know comes into play there where if that truth is so completely goes against what your truth is that makes things a little bit harder um you know if we were standing outside and I were to say hey Chris what's the color of the sky and you were to say oh well look up it's orange today and you know not a sunset but and I would be looking at it going well no it's blue no no chris says <laughs> <It's orange. laughs> the reality is it's orange that's a little bit harder for me to to swallow and and just i i in most cases i would just remove myself from something like that if it's so far that
0: that it's just
1: not my reality at all
0: <laughs> yeah i think but one
1: arguing I, against it is not going to get me anywhere
0: right and one big example of that is anyone from any religion who preaches killing Oh, yeah. I mean, that's clearly against whatever true spirituality that is. That's not even debatable.
1: Yeah, it's not. And it's it's twisting Yeah, it's twisting whatever's in any religion to make that okay. And so, yeah, but if someone believes that that's what they, what needs to be done, me telling them it's probably gonna put me in their sight line versus actually you know convincing them of something different, right.
0: yeah, so like you said earlier as well, lead by example, so what um just to sort of wrap up here, this has been a wonderful conversation, but you know for the listeners of the mystic show what what can you tell them about just day to day living and spirituality? Do you have a couple tips or a couple tricks you use to get yourself back? where you need to be, anything like that?
1: As with many spiritual paths, meditation, quiet time, uh, journaling, or some sort of reflective uh, practice, sometimes just conversation with people. I mean, there are those times when I'm so far out that I, meaning out of balance, That what I need is actually a conversation with someone to, like, I can't remind myself of who I am. I need someone else to remind me of who I am. And I have those people around me, which is, I feel so fortunate for that Um, balance in everything, you know. I mean, there are days, again, if you're really busy with work or doing what you need to do and you can't meditate, well... Okay, but don't let it go too long. <laughs> um, but some, you know, with enough practice, this is where spiritual practice comes in because it's practice, right? You practice over and over again. There are ways that you can bring yourself back in an instant. I mean, I through this program, um, I have a mantra. And I now I'm saying that to you, and I haven't said it to myself in probably a couple of weeks, but I have a mantra that reminds me of who I am, and it's there for me. So I think anything you can put into place, especially that, that reminds you of who you are, reminds you, once you find yourself as a, once you find your higher self, your whatever you want to call it, your purpose, your core, your, you know, who you are at your best, right? There's all sorts of different language for it. Once you find that, find ways to remind yourself of who that person is because that's who you want to be more than not. And that's who you step away from. When you're having a bad day, when things are not going your way, you've, you've actually turned away from that higher self. So come back to it.
0: And I also liked what you said earlier about, you know, when you first started your training, you sort of rebelled against some of the concepts, but then you realize that, you know what, you just need to, to bear down and do the training and like do the lesson and then figure out if the lesson resonates with you and fits into your life and everything. So I think that's one of the things that people can do in their life is you know like you said it comes down to reflection and meditation and in the beginning it's you know what just do it just sit down and do it
1: yes i know people that start you know practice of uh reading whether it's verses from the bible or uh reading the the dao you know <laughs> that kind of thing every day the same thing you know the first time you do something like that the first 20 times or 50 times you do something like that even meditation it's awkward, and you feel like I'm not getting it, and you know it's it's just doesn't really work, but then who knows the fifty first time you start to feel like, oh this i I get it, this is starting to work for me. It's all practice, but if that first time when it's not working, if you're digging your heels in or whatever, if you're saying well, this will never you know <laughs> I'll never have an impact from meditation. Well, okay, no, you won't. That's pretty clear. If you're not gonna give it a chance, if you're not gonna to learn it and give it a chance to to work with you, work on you, then it absolutely will not have an impact.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, Tasha. I really uh, feel like you know anyone who's on a spiritual path that is open and honest and just themselves and not, you know preaching that their way is the only way and all this stuff. It, it really, whatever way we're traveling, whatever path we're on, we're all on the same path. And I really appreciate being a co-traveler on this path with you. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. And I've been, as you know, I've been listening to your podcast since uh, since we met. And um, I appreciate the information that you share.
0: Great. Thanks, Tasha. Thank you. Yes. Wow. What a wonderful interview. Thanks again to Tasha. And I'm happy you could hear that. And I'm wondering what you think. You can comment on this episode on the website uh, if you have any questions or or comments about what we talked about. I especially like the concept of dance hammering, which, as she explained, is basically like taking a spiritual idea and living it in your life, learning about it experiencing it, maybe journaling about it, maybe learning more about it, sort of like hammering it into shape in your own life, figuring out what does it mean to you and does it work for you? So we know that this spiritual journey is one big experiment and I'm happy to be a co-traveler with you on this journey, not just Tasha. You and me are on this together as well. So in the weeks to come, in the days to come, I hope you can reflect on some of these things and maybe journal about it. Maybe talk to a friend about it. And as always, keep shining.